Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Alexis Jones is the author of Joy Hunter, Messy Face Plants, Radical Love, and The Journey That Changed Everything. Alexis is an internationally recognized speaker, media personality, activist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, I Am That Girl, which she named after the nonprofit organization she founded. I Am That Girl grew to more than 1 million members with chapters all over the world and attracted the support of a wide range of celebrities, including Kristen Bell, Sophia Bush, and many others. Alexis created Protect Her, an educational program for male athletes on the importance of respecting women, which grew in popularity and demand during the Me Too era. 
Prior to her speaking, activism, and literary careers, Alexis appeared as an on-air personality, as a cast member on Survivor, and later on Elite 11 for ESPN. The recipient of the Jefferson Award, the Oscar of Activism, she has been featured on Oprah's Super Soul 100, AOL's Makers, Dell's Inspire 100 list, Fast Company's Female Trailblazers, ESPN's Pop Culture's Top 10, Girl Scout's Woman of Distinction, and she was highlighted as one of the five most influential women in Texas as a Profiles in Power winner. Gosh, this whole bio just makes me feel bad about myself. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. Alexis has been invited to speak at the White House, the United Nations, Harvard, Stanford, West Point, the Naval Academy, Nike, Google, Facebook, the NFL, and Division I locker rooms all over the country. She and her husband live in Bozeman, Montana, with their French bulldog, Gussie, and their son, Bridger. I like how Gussie came before their son, but that's okay. <laughs> Hi, Alexis. Thank you Hi. so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Of course, you kidding? Like, best like title of any podcast I've ever heard in my life. It was no brainer. <laughs> and it's um, so true. Speaking of good titles, Joy Hunter, Joy Hunter, Messy Face Plants, Radical Love and the Journey that Changed Everything. Pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I, I mean, I'm sure people say this all the time. I feel like I know you now that I've read your book, but I feel so like close to you and all the things that you've gone through. And I'm like, you know, just so rooting for you. I like couldn't put your book down. I was just like, what's going to happen next? And I feel so bad for this going on and that going. Anyway, I don't know. It was a very emotional ride. The whole thing was an emotional ride. Oh, thank you. It is funny because I have like really dear friends who are like, I didn't know that happened. Like it is funny with like people who don't know you and people who know you really well, who then read your book and they're like, I didn't know X, Y, and Z. So it is kind of the definition of vulnerability of like putting all your guts out into the world, um, for people to have, you know, to, to hopefully feel something. So tell everybody, why did you decide to write this book? Oh gosh, that's the first time I've been asked that question. That's a really good question. (laughs) Um, I think it was because like fundamentally the backbone and the through line of everything I've ever done professionally and the things that like really make me tick are connection. And I think like we've never lived in a world in which we ironically feel so connected, like through technology and through social media, but we're actually living in a pandemic of loneliness. And so for me, it was like, yes, I gone through this kind of like crazy, as you know, this like crazy journey and there are aspects of it that are relatable and aspects that are utterly unrelatable about it. But mainly it was just, if I can offer parts of myself out into the world, the hope was that people wouldn't feel so alone on their own journeys because life is crazy and messy and wonderful and complicated and confusing. And I think sometimes when, when we're brave enough to share stories with people that hopefully it inspires them to be brave enough to, to follow suit. I love that. Yes. Opening up is the quickest way to get other people to open up, right? You just, exactly. Well, there are so many different things to address. One is when you were full steam ahead doing so, so much, which I obviously relate to. I shouldn't say obviously, you don't know me, but I relate to a lot because, you know, like many women and perhaps men, whatever, we get into those traps where we have to do this and we say yes to that and you ignore your health or your body or whatever because you're so like focused. Tell me about that and and when you, and I know you write about this, like shift gears and kind of realize and hit bottom, if you will. Yeah. I think for me, exactly to your point, we see so many women who are like, not only are they leaning in, they're like planking in their lives. And I think witnessing my mom's work ethic 
growing up because she was a single mom. She got pregnant really young at 16. She was working two jobs, going to night school, raising five kids. Like it was like the insanity of her work ethic. It was just by osmosis. Like I just thought that was normal. And, you know, starting in fourth grade, we would go back to the bar that she would bartend at night to help clean seven days a week to make extra money for the family. So before rolling up, you know, to like fourth grade elementary school, like I would have already been up two hours and already cleaned an entire bar and, you know, cleaned urinals and stocked beer. So I think part of the work ethic was like, I just didn't know any other way. So I was like grit, resilience, grind, repeat. And I think there were aspects of that that are certain, you know, there's like two sides of every coin. So there were aspects of that that were really helpful, you know, as far as like getting the scholarship and going to undergrad and masters and starting companies and all these things. But I think the reality was unchecked. It became my identity was I am someone who gets shit done. And I think that at a certain point, and I always use that analogy they talk about with the frog, where it's like, it just, they keep increasing the water, like one degree, one degree, one degree, one. And then before you know it, the frog is like boiling. And I think that's what ended up happening. It was very unintentional, but it was just like one more event, one more, you know, two more days on the road, three more days on the road, four or five. And then before I know it, I'm traveling 250 days a year and kind of woke up and was like, how did I get here? And to answer the second part of that question, how did I kind of have maybe the epiphany to slow down? I think if left to my own devices, I would have never slowed down. So I think it was a divine intervention of like multiple things. What I refer to as like everything going wrong all at the same time. That was the only way like my bullet train was going to get shut down. And so for me, it was COVID happening. It immediately shut my entire career down. I had 150 events on the calendar already for 2020. Every single event was canceled. Uh, My income went to zero. And growing up like a kid without any money and having created a huge ego around like, I'm a, you know, badass, like boss lady. And I, you know, so all of a sudden it was like my identity of, you know, ascribing a sense of self, like directly commensurate to how much money I was making. I immediately go on unemployment. So it's like my worst nightmare and paradigm of scarcity is like massively triggered. We had been trying to get pregnant for years. We did IVF. We finally got pregnant. We lost the baby. I found out my dad wasn't my biological father on ancestry.com, which is like revealing this huge family secret. So it was just like, And I think there's a reason it's cliche. And for any of your listeners, like, you know, you start nodding when you're like, it's cliche for a reason that when it rains, it pours. And it's not if, but when, like everything where like you have those moments, it was my moment of there is not one more thing in my life that can possibly go wrong. And it would be like, oh, but there is. So it was a very, very humbling moment of just like uh, an atomic blast in my life. And I think it was the first time ever that I like hit pause on everything because I was like, nothing is working. So hopped in an RV and yeah, went on a, went to go chase an adventure with no intention of like healing you know, the, the parts inside of me that I'd really been running away from my whole life. But, but isn't it crazy that that was only a couple years ago? I mean, it's like, this is not something that happened to you 20 years ago and it took you a while, but you got back on your feet. Like that just happened. Like, and already you've regrouped. And by the end of the book, even you're like in a new state and you have a whole new frame of mind and da da da. Now you like have a baby and, you know, a book and all this stuff. So, you know, 2020 and hitting bottom, that was a pretty quick 
reversal. I have, you know, it yeah. all things considered, not that it makes it any better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and I'm so glad you're saying that because I, it's easy to glaze over the face plants. Like it's easy to be like, that was so hard. 2020, everything went wrong, but look at my life now, you know? And you're just like, Oh God, because when you're in that like really dark place in your life where like you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And whether that is like someone that you love who is sick and especially that intersection of like the unknowable and the uncontrollable circumstances, which for us, we had five years of of our infertility journey of just like roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And I think it's easy to look back and say like, oh, that was only three years ago. Like, look at how different my life looks. But there were days that felt like infinity. And there were months that felt like infinity times infinity, where I was just like, I don't know if I'm ever going to like, is it, do I have a career anymore? Like, how do I make money moving forward? And will we ever get pregnant? And like, there were so many unanswered questions. So yes. And I probably like any parent who's like, you know, the years are short, but the days are long. (laughs) I think that when you're, you know, really in your own unique life storm that those days can feel like forever. So yes, looking back, I'm like, that is kind of crazy. It's only been three years, but my goodness, you know, there were moments, several, I mean, endless moments throughout that time where the darkness felt like it was never going to lift. And you really wrote about that really well. I mean, the section when you would see the slippers and, you know, all of that, like, how you felt in the aftermath of your miscarriage was one of the most raw depictions of that feeling and of loss in general, frankly, of just like, you felt like you had some line, like you just didn't even really feel like a soul anymore or something. Like you were barely living. You were just like, anyway, it was, you know, it, you wrote it in a really, I mean, it was to be the reader. We, we felt it, you know, Mm. I felt it. And I'm so sorry you went through that. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting how like our hurt and our pain is quite literally like the glue that holds our humanity together for, you know, as polarized as it feels like the country is and people like, you know, focusing on all the things that make us different. Like the one unique thing that no matter what, where you are, like the metrics of diversity is that you and I can come together over the pieces of our lives that are our greatest heartbreaks. Like no matter what, like we hurt maybe differently. Like maybe there's a different label to it, but that was something that I was trying to capture in sharing. And even, you know, at the time my editor was like, wow, you're really going there. You know, when it came to certain parts of the book and I said, listen, like, I don't want to put out another fluff. Like, I think that's harmful actually. Like with the like highlight reels on social media of people's lives, like I think it's actually harmful if we aren't being like really authentic and honest because, you know, it's human nature to compare ourselves. And so I'm really happy that I don't want to say that that resonated, but I'm really happy that you felt that because that was my intention. My intention was like, no bars hold, like we're going to go there. Yeah. Cause I think that no matter what, like we all have that in common and whether it's a miscarriage or a loss of a dream or a loss of a person or a loss of a job. I mean, there's so many ways that humans experience loss and no matter what, it's painful. So true. 
I was actually just reading another book recently. It was a novel. And in the novel, it, the author was sort of talking about a loss. I mean, even in the best case scenario in COVID, I mean, the days were like a hundred years long. And to pile on, especially the lack of support, right? You talk yeah. about how you went yeah. to that. Oh my God. And the scene with your friend driving up. Oh my gosh. I have to text you the video because I posted it on social media when it happened. And yeah, it was like one of the most profound displays of like radical love that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like every time I watch the video, I cry every single time because I didn't even know that my husband was filming it. Like he came out behind me and was filming us dancing because she had driven, you know, three hours, four hours round trip just to like dance with me for one song. Oh, it was, it was such a beautiful moment. Gives me goosebumps. Oh my gosh. So meanwhile, in the depths of your, you know, coping with that loss and that journey and all of that journey is such a cliche word, that, you know, experience essentially, you're also, and you take us into this from the beginning, this sort of search for who you are really, who is your dad? What is your mom hiding? Trying to peel the information from her. I like hate to give anything away, but the way she finally the way it finally comes out and <laughs> what you learn and even your dad. I mean, I don't know like what I can say, but your dad's response. Anyway. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is appropriate to say like, it is a journey. We're all on these wild journeys, you know? And I think that for me through that experience of finding out my dad was not my biological father. And like you, it's like not giving too much away, but I think that it was very apropos that I would end up eventually having a conversation with my dad who raised me, who is my real life Superman, who is, you know, as I mentioned, who coached everything I ever played, who, you know, is just like bigger than life. And, um, the conversation about the fact that like what parenthood really is, is like a relentless love and a relentless choice and a relentless commitment. And, you know, that would be a year or two. I don't, I'm like lost in all the timelines of everything, but before I would find out that I, we'd have to bring in an egg donor for me to eventually get pregnant. And so it was like this beautiful planting of seeds that would eventually allow me to accept, I think, which with far less resistance and less grieving that I wouldn't be able to participate in my child's life biologically because I had been the recipient of such a radical love that I had complete confidence that even if I am not my son's biological mother, that it is like, are you kidding me? It's like, that is not the thing. That is not what makes me a mother. What makes me a mother is the fact that like, yet again, he woke me up at, you know, two o'clock in the morning screaming and like, and there's nothing I would rather do in that moment. You know, well, let's be honest. Let's be honest. I would rather sleep. Okay. I would much rather sleep. However, um, the compulsion to love him is actually bigger than any desire that I have uh, for myself. So yeah, it was a big lesson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wait, I want wait, first of all, that's like amazing and such a full circle thing, like a lesson you learn just at the right time, right? It's like one of those universe yes. things. Can you tell me what happened after the book? Like now I want the PS. Yeah, of course, of course. Absolutely. So, and which is really interesting because in writing books, usually the editing process is about a year, like, and can be longer than that, but like on average is about a year. So I spent about a year writing the book and then a whole nother year um, editing it. And then you like pick out the cover and like, there's all these steps that have to happen until the book actually hits the shelves. So, uh, two weeks after I submitted my final manuscript, as you read, we still didn't know how we were going to get pregnant. And we kind of were like back to square one and two weeks after submitting it. And because a whole nother year happens. So there was a lot more heartbreak and, you know, and I think that's part of it too, is I'm really cautious that when people like read the book and then like they go to my social media and they're like, wait, but now she's a kid. Like, okay, her rainbow happened. Like it all worked out. And I'm like, oh girl, not only did it not all work out, but we would still yet find out that we would have to get a biological or an egg donor. So that was a whole nother journey that took almost nine months to court an egg donor. And I always joke that because it it was still on, you know, on the tail ends of COVID. So, and I have like a wicked... Uh, inappropriate, dark sense of humor. And that's just like how I cope with hard things in life. And so my girlfriends would talk about how hard it was, you know, having to like online date during COVID. And I would be like, you know, what's harder is having to online date for baby mama for your husband to reproduce (laughs) with. So we ended up finding an egg donor, uh, hiring an egg donor. And then we would hit another huge roadblock where I was having a lot of complications with the hormones. So then we had a doctor say that we were going to have to hire a surrogate Um, so then I was heartbroken again at the thought of not being able to carry, we would eventually get a second opinion and we only had two embryos, which anyone in the like fertility, infertility space, like knows how sacred and precious, uh, these little embryos are. And we only had two. So we ended up doing the transfer two weeks after I submitted my final manuscript. And I told my husband, I was like, don't even make eye contact with me for 10 days. Like, I don't want that face of like, oh, babe, what if it works out? Because we've been trying this for five years. And I was like, there's no way. The transfer was to a surrogate or to you? To me. So we got, yep, yep. So we got a second opinion. And our second opinion doctor said, I actually think that you can carry. And I remember telling him like the next phrase out of my mouth was you need to be very careful with the words coming out of your mouth because we've been doing this for five years. And like, and I wrote about it in the book, but for people who are on that kind of journey and not just infertility journey, but as we talked about any dream, any dream you've been fighting for, for years to have someone give you a glimmer of hope, you're like, you gotta be real cautious 
with your words because hope can feel so dangerous. We are like, I'm just so afraid to hold on to hope because what if I'm disappointed again? And what if like my heart is, is physically ripped out of my chest again? And so when we did the embryo transfer, we didn't tell anyone. Like we flew from Montana to Houston, didn't tell our parents, didn't tell any friends. And like I said, I told my husband, don't even make eye contact with me because I don't even want to see your little hopeful eyes being like, what if this works? What if this time? And then sure enough, 10 days later, um, they called me and said, congratulations, you're pregnant. And my husband, which anyone who knows him, he's a 6'9", poster boy of feminism. And he just starts weeping. And uh, and I'm like stone cold killer. And I was like, eh, it's probably not even gonna work. Like, we're not telling you, we didn't tell anyone for months because I was just like, I, I, I didn't want to jinx it. I didn't want, you know, um, to, to hold the weight of other people's expectations. So by like eight, like the eighth month, I was like, okay, now we can tell people that. And it was like, kind of obvious, like, bro, you're pregnant. By the eighth <laughs> you know? month? Yeah. Yeah. By the eighth month, we, and we had told like our closest friends and families, like three, four months in. And then by like the eighth month, we were more open about it. And at that point, I think I felt like I deserved an easy pregnancy and I deserved like an easy labor because things had been so hard. And then my husband hops on a plane to Cabo to, for his like last hurrah, he's going on a golf trip and my water breaks seven weeks early, which was like the worst, most terrifying nightmare being in a hospital by myself, oh. thinking I was going to go into labor at any moment. And my husband, once again, is bawling, trying to get the first flight back. And um, I end up living in the hospital for two and a half weeks as we're, you know, keep him baking in his little oven. And, um, but he ended up coming five weeks early. He was, his lungs were really compromised. So he was whisked off to the NICU, ended up having an emergency C-section. And so the interesting thing, the reason I share all that, and then he ended up coming home on oxygen for two and a half weeks. So you know, that was almost five weeks between the NICU and him being home on oxygen. And, and I felt like, I'll be honest, I felt like I just written this book, right? This like this book about like, when things get really hard, this is how you hunt for joy. And this is how you find joy, regardless of your circumstances. And I'd certainly communicated my thoughts about there's always purpose to our pain and that time is the only revealer. And that was like a huge lesson for me. And so the interesting thing was, it's one thing to write about this stuff, right? It, like, it's one thing to like talk the talk, but then his entire, like what I refer to is his grand entrance into the world. I always say that that was my invitation to walk it. Like, again, it's one thing to talk about, you know, like finding the perfect tiny moments that exist every single day in the midst of like challenging, terrifying circumstances. And there were real moments where my life was in question, where my son's life was in question when he was born. And I remember like laying on the OR table being like, I don't actually think I survived like losing him at that point. And so like these really haunting, you know, and then that proceeded for the next several weeks where every day I was like, is he going to be okay? Like, are his lungs going to develop? And the reason that like I share how hard that is, is that life is relentless. Like, it's not like, oh, thank God, 2020, that was hard. Moving on. Like, Life has been rainbows and ponies and sunshine ever since. It actually got a lot harder. And I think the difference is I'd had all this practice, like this spiritual practice, this emotional, this mental practice 
of hunting for. And that is literally why I use that word is because growing up, I was super competitive with my four older brothers of hunting for Easter eggs. And it was the idea that there are these like brightly colored, you know, like little eggs of joy that had chocolate, like all around, but you had to like train yourself to find them, you know, in the backyard and stuff. And that is what it felt like for me was I went into training so that every single day, and I'm saying sometimes it was like 30 seconds in a day. And I'd be like, that was it. Okay. There it was one perfect moment of joy. And maybe it was walking outside to get the mail and like the sunshine hitting me in the face and like feeling the warmth of that sunshine and being like, okay, there it was. I got it. I got it today. And I think when we train ourselves, like where are those perfect tiny moments that we often miss? But like, if we can start collecting those. And then what I found is that as any new mom knows, I mean, it's brutal. Like those first couple of months. And I think that while it's wonderful to see like photos of like me holding my son and he is perfect and huge and chubby and healthy now, but motherhood, parenthood is really hard. And I don't think we have enough conversations about how really hard it is. And so that practice continues in my life. Because again, it wasn't like life stopped being hard. It just continues to be hard in different ways. And I remember telling Brad, even with our infertility stuff, I said, you know, this is our thing right now. This is the thing that hurts for us. But if it's not this, it's going to be something else. So let's choose like the suffering. Let's choose the pain that we have in our life. And we're choosing the pain of really, really wanting to become parents. And a couple of weeks after uh, Bridger was born, we ended up finding it. And I was like, oh my God, our journey, like now we have a kid and now our pain point isn't infertility. And like weeks later, we found out Brad's dad has cancer. And I was like, it's just something else, you know, but like, that's, that's real talk. Like that's life is that, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing perfect about it. And it's not when it's if, and it's if over and over and over again, that we have heartbreak and disappointment. And, and that's why I felt like this message was timely, not just for my own life that continues, you know, to be awesome and really hard, but hopefully that maybe, you know, through this story that other people could extrapolate their own Easter eggs in their own lives, not only when things are hard, but even just in everyday life. Oh my gosh. First of all, you are so amazing. You are so inspiring <laughs> and it's true. I mean, everything of course that you're saying is true and life doesn't necessarily line up the timelines of the pain. It's not, it doesn't always work. That like we got through infertility and now here comes the cancer. Like often they're all bundled up together. You're like, seriously, all these people at the same time are dying or whatever it is in your life, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, I feel like personally, any day where something is not, Really, like I don't even want to say it out loud. I'm just yeah, like, yeah, I know. I'm like, knock on wood. Knock on yeah, wood. I don't even want to say it out loud. You know, like totally. Okay, things like okay. I I know what what that terrible pain is like. I know it will come back. I'm not yeah. a moron, or either I yeah. will, or either I'll just yeah. right, or it'll be happen to me. But yeah. so, how do you live that like tentative, you know, tentatively enjoying the joy of the present, always knowing what's hovering? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's uniquely human is the, you know, so many people think that we shouldn't have problems. So if there's problems or if there's pain or if there's suffering and like something is wrong, as opposed to being like, no, that is 
synonymous. Like there are entire, you know, like, like Buddhism is all about like suffering is the point, you know, like that is where we learn things. That is where we grow. That is where we, you know, and it's like, there's entire religions that, you know, are talking about pain and suffering, not as something to be avoided or sidestepped or, you know, when it happens immediately solved, it is just something to experience. And I think that that was to bring the conversation full circle. Like when I was like on my bullet train, you know, like checking off boxes and hiking the world's biggest mountains and running for the biggest offices and standing on the biggest stages. And like, I always had this very external display of bravery of like, I'm going to jump out of planes and I'm going to swim with sharks and I'm going to, you know, do all these things that I think we perceive as brave. And now what I found is like the bravest thing that I do every day is I sit silently with myself. And like, that was something I'd been running away from my whole life was like sitting with myself and like really listening to that internal voice. Cause I think when we're young, we do it so effortlessly. Like we know exactly who we are when we're young, like before the world gets its hands on us. And then we get tied up in knots, you know, and I just saw that Barbie movie and there's like this monologue in there that I was like bawling. It was like, it's so hard to be a woman. It is so hard to be a woman and it's so hard to be a mom. And it's such confusing messaging. And so the bravest most beautiful, most loving thing that we can do is like, and I'm saying like five minutes, if you don't have five minutes for yourself, you don't have a life, but like sitting down for five minutes saying like, I love you. And I accept you exactly as you are today. Like those tiny little intentions, um, that is so much more brave than anything I used to do. Although I still do all those things. I still hike big mountains and swim with sharks and jump out of planes, but it's it's a different part of me that's being exercised. And now there's the stillness within that I didn't have access to before when I was when I was on a bullet train going two thousand miles an hour. Wow. Oh my gosh. So there must be another book about this part too. Right? <laughs> Are you writing it now or is that yeah, just- it's, it's funny you say that. So when my water broke, which is a total phenomenon, very rarely happens, less than three percent of pregnancies in the hospital here in Bozeman, Montana, where I live. They say usually, you know, it happens maybe once every two years and it happened to three of us, three different women within a week of each other, our water broke and we all came in early and we lived in the hospital together. And I just wrote an op-ed about it saying that basically like it's the start of, you know, an inappropriate joke, but these three women walk into a hospital and we ended up living together. And then we, all of our babies were in the NICU together. And now we hike these big, beautiful Montana mountains together but of course, you know, my, my book agents and like, everyone was like, oh my God, this is going to be an amazing next book. And I was like, yo, we gotta like, give me a second. I need to, I need to, I need a deep breath. But of course, I mean, and that's the beautiful thing. And my story is no more unique than anyone else's. And that's what I love the most is that every single human being has a story to tell and a story to share. And as honored as I am to share my own, I think the thing that makes me tick the most is when people reach out to me and they're like, this happened to me. And I'm like, tell me your story. Like we have so much to learn from each other. I don't think anyone's story is more important or more profound than anyone else's. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I will continue to tell stories, um, hopefully for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. Well, 
Alexis, you were like sensational. I'm so glad. <laughs> we, I feel like I just got like a private session with like, you know, I don't know, some sort of guru. <laughs> something really special about you. And I hope I get to meet you in person. I want to go see you. I know. Now I understand why you had, and not that I didn't understand, but like even speaking to you, like, yes, of course, everybody wants you to get up and speak in front of their audiences. So um, yeah, you're amazing. Come to Montana. Come to Montana. Come visit me. Come meet, I, I come meet Bridger. I was there in 2020, actually, uh, was my last you're, you're, you're due for another visit. Anytime. I, I'm telling you, I'm like the beacon of every, all the locals despise me because I'm like, come to Montana. I'm like <laughs> a collection of incredible people. So I would love to hug you in person. And I have to warn you, I am a really intense hugger. I love to hug. I so hug consider, yourself, consider yourself warned. Yeah, I hug everybody. I know it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, I'm so glad we connected. Thank you so yeah, much. For thank your time. you so and congrats much. Congrats on your book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope to hang out some at some point. You too, for sure. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.